And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host, Matt Watson. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Jason Taylor, somebody I used to work with at Stackify. We're going to talk today about his company, Matchless Cabinet. He's the founder and CEO. You know, he went from being CTO at Stackify to a cabinet maker with the Amish. We're going to learn about it today. It's going to be a fun conversation. And he's got a seven-figure side hustle going. We're going to learn all about his side hustle, and and hopefully we'll inspire some of you to have your own side hustle. I uh, do want to take a second to remind everybody, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale, which is my company. We have 300 employees working for dozens of companies, startups, scale-ups, building all sorts of technology. If you need to hire software developers, check us out at fullscale.io. Jason, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Matt. It's been a while. I'm glad to be on finally. You know, you've how many episodes have you done? Uh, there's like twelve hundred something. I don't know a lot. Twelve twelve hundred. And this is the first time you're having me on. Well, you got to listen to a it. bunch of them in the office. I got to listen to a whole lot in the yeah. office. Yeah, because so back to the Stackfy days when we started this podcast like six years ago. Yeah, we were in the Stackfy office and you saw all the guests come in and out and all that stuff every yeah. day, and so yeah, putting the sound booth up in in the spare office. And yeah, you times. probably helped with some of that at some point in time. <laughs> well, so tell me, how did you go from CTO at StackFi, and then you left and you worked at Microsoft for a while, yep. doing all sorts of very high tech stuff, to now building cabinets with with an Amish business partner? Isn't that yeah, isn't that how with everyone the Amish. does it? Yeah. Because when you think high tech and cloud, think and Microsoft and the Fang companies, you're thinking Amish, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been an interesting journey um, uh, to get here, and and you know, uh, I, I've always I've always been looking for something that can really be mine. You know, Stackify Stackify was probably the closest I'd ever been to that. Previously, I came in early after you started the company and, and, you know, there was a lot of my DNA in there, but, you know, that was your company. That was your baby. And um, so, you know, working in high tech and then working in sales, I mean, it's, it's a great gig. Um, you, have, you have years that are great. You have years that aren't so great. You have times that you're busy. You have times that you're slow. But I've always just kind of, kind of wondered, you know, what's going to come along? What's going to be my side hustle? Am I going to be, you know day trading, uh, uh, you know, coins somewhere or, or, you know, what am I going to do? And, um, but as a lot of these things go, I think it, it's generally born out of some sort of passion you have or, or a hobby that you have. And, uh, you know, you know, you know, this about me from, from all the years we've known each other. I've, I've always been kind of a home remodeler and do it yourself sort of guy. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but I never really wanted to do anything in that space. Like I I just never thought like that's going to be viable. And, and so, um, about 
oh, you know, like August or so of 2020, no, 2019. Wait, what year are we in? I'm trying to Before think. Before COVID? COVID messed with everything, right? No, it was actually during COVID. So okay. that summer, I had built a new deck on the back of our house. And it was great. We had a bunch more room. It looked nice. And for 15 years, I've been a fan of, of the big green egg. You know, is, uh-huh. if you're familiar with that, like the big ceramic cooker everybody has and have had one for years. And I had it in this this little cart that, you know, didn't have quite enough storage, didn't have quite enough, you know, prep space on it. And now we had this big, beautiful new deck. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I want to do something different. And I knew of a couple companies out there that were that were making carts and tables and stands for these things. And, you know, there's a, there's kind of a big aftermarket space for, you know, accessories for all of these grills. And, uh, and so I was, I was looking around at that and I'd seen some of them before I I'd built a wooden one prior a tree fell on it. So, and after the tree fell on us, I, like, ah, I don't want to build one again. And, and so I was looking at some, some options that were made, you know, all from metal and, and you could kind of pick from a few colors and, man, they were expensive. They were like four grand. And I was like, yeah, you know, there's got to be something else out there, you know, and somehow go a little bit larger in scale and, and maybe build more of an outdoor kitchen. And uh, I found a couple options on the market and it, it, those manufacturers operated in a very traditional sense of, you know, going through a dealer installer network and you'd have to find your local rep and call them and have them come out to your house and measure and do all this stuff. And then they come back and they give you a quote. You're thinking, okay, this is going to cost seven or $8,000. And they give you a quote for 70 or $80,000. And you go, Good this, Lord. Is just, this is just crazy. Um, and, you know, you could go the traditional route of kind of frame it and then do stone veneer and, and, you know, stucco and things like that. And I didn't love the look of that. So I kept, I just kept digging. I said, somebody has to be manufacturing a product like this. And in the back of my mind, what I thought is I went back to the days when, you know, I lived in Prairie Village and had this little house that we bought and we, we needed to put in a new kitchen. And Ikea had planning software that yeah. if you were, you know, reasonably competent and you could work a tape measure, you could figure out your cabinet plan and here's what it costs. And then you just click buy and you go drive to Ikea and you load it in the truck and then you come home and assemble for three weeks, right? You bring home a truck full of Legos. Yeah, you bring home a truck full of Legos. And I (laughs) thought, you know, that that's what this buying experience should be. And so I keep searching, keep searching. And I, and I come across this manufacturer that had, you know, prefabricated carts and they had cabinetry and I had never, ever, ever heard of them. So, you know, I sent out a couple emails and they got back to me and, and the guy said, well, why don't you give me a call? And I, and I talked to him and, and he said, well, you know, we're, we're still kind of new to this and we don't have any dealers in your area, but I'd be willing to sell directly to you. And he sent me his price sheet and I said, well, that's, that's actually really reasonable prices. That's a lot better than some of the competitors I've been seeing. And then his words of, I don't have any dealers in your area, just stuck in my brain. Yeah. And in the, in the course of about two hours, I decided this could be a nice, tidy little side hustle. Like I could sell a bunch of cabinetry to people, you know, around town here and in my neighborhood and, you know, South Overland Park, all these people are building nice, fancy homes and, you know, 
people are out in their garages in the Kansas City and area. It. Yeah, and all of that. So I thought this will this will be a nice little thing. Maybe I can you know I can buy my stuff at a lower price and uh, and and then I can make some money off of it. So in the course of a couple hours, I went from being this semi casual shopper. And the funny, the funny thing about that, <laughs> Matt, is to is, owning a cabinet company. <laughs> yeah, and and so so here's the mental gymnastics that happened, and and you'll get a kick out of this because you know my wife. I was doing all of this searching without having spoken to her about it, and so you know <laughs> it's not in the budget, Matt. It's not on the spreadsheet. So I'm going, I'm going. How am I going to justify this? I, ah, I know. I'll become a dealer. And then you gotta I'm sell three cabinets lower, first. <laughs> yeah, then I'm getting at a lower cost, and she'll be like, "Oh, okay." So, literally that morning, I'd been on the phone with this guy who had this kind of thick Pennsylvania Dutch accent, uh, telling me about his cabinets. To Lindsay comes home, and I go, "Hey, I think I just started a company." <laughs> Good morning. And, and, yeah, yeah, and then, and then the journey started. And it, it was it was really interesting because because almost instantly, I was able to put together in my mind like all the different pieces to this business model and how we could go disrupt the market because because once I saw how the product was manufactured and how the catalog was built that that idea I had of the kind of IKEA self service model selling directly to customers and allowing them to build and select online. I saw a path to that happening and that nobody else in the market was doing it because I searched for weeks for it. And it so nobody, nobody was, so obviously people must do this for indoor cabinets or you go, well, even then maybe you still primarily go to a custom cabinet maker and they have their own software that they use to do right. this. Probably a lot of consumers don't do this themselves is my guess online. But an outdoor yeah. kitchen is a lot simpler too, right? It's it's you know six feet long, or it's a simple L shape, or whatever. Like it's probably a lot simpler for a consumer you, to do an outdoor kitchen. Yeah, you you generally speaking don't have the constraints of I have a wall here and some other obstacle to go around, yeah. and I've already got plumbing coming through somewhere. Now we right. do get into more advanced builds where we have that. But even to your point, even in the indoor market, um, there's not a whole lot of self service cabinetry out there so and that was a challenge of trying to find trying to find the model of how do we how do we go out and tackle this how do we do this how do i build software that can do this and i think that's been a a huge part of it you know in our journey so far is i'm thinking about this um through the lens of a big background of software development and realize you had to build you had to build build a lot We had to build a lot, yeah. So, so what there's? Wh- go ahead. What, so, what does the tech stack of that look like? Is this like a WebGL sort of like in the browser, three D yeah. rendering? Like, like, yeah. How did you build yeah. that? So, so our our kind of end to end stack is is a number of things that have been put together. Like any kind of distributed system is at at, at scale is. We've got our store front end, which is you know commercially available SaaS product storefront, and then okay. um, we've got a lot of integration that we've had to build. Um, now we we tried to go everything out of the box as much as we can, could early on. I didn't want to be in the software development business, but inevitably we we ended up there. But our planning software is, to your point, um, kind of a WebGL 
JavaScript browser-based front end. Okay. And that you and, had to build. Uh, we had some help. We had some help. I, I did find a company that had a product that could be used as a base that they would okay. customize and host for you. So it's it's a okay. it's a SaaS product that's heavily customized to your catalog and your business needs. And, okay, and I've cool. had a pretty heavy hand in that as well. But there was a little bit of a journey to get to that, and that that was one thing as as a you know technologist that I got to do for the first time was really understand the uh, uh, 3D modeling space, which is really interesting. I mean, it was so far from anything that I've ever worked on. And believe it or not, my Amish business partners work and design in 3D CAD tools. So in the years that I was at Microsoft, I served a lot of the architectural engineering and construction community for sales. And they all used this piece of software called SolidWorks. And it's a it's okay. a 3D modeling tool that has materials awareness, so it knows if you're you know building this model with with you know wood or or metal or whatever or plastic, you know these are the properties of all of it, and it understands machining. You can say I'm going to take this piece of metal, I'm going to bend it, and it knows it's not going to be a perfect 90 degrees. There's going to be a little radius in that bend, and and kind of all those little factors. And so there are these super super rich you know, billions of polygons making up these these models that give you perfect renderings that are photorealistic and okay. and and can be used to to do very, very detailed plans. But that doesn't translate to web very well. Right. Okay. So so we went through a few different iterations where early on we took that and we kind of rebuilt into an AutoCAD and Google SketchUp, or I guess it's not Google anymore. It's uh Trimble that owns owns SketchUp now, and you know built it into a model there. And as I was working with customers, I'd have to crack open AutoCAD, and then I'd go put a plan together, and then I'd send it to them. And that that worked for a while, but that doesn't scale very rapidly. Yeah. I can't be doing all of these. I needed a way for customers to be able to go do it on their own. And how do you do that? It's got to be an app on their phone, or it's got to be browser based. They aren't going to get and so. Anything more complicated so sin- than that. And so since then, you have built all that, right? Like you have this whole end-to-end sort of that. e-commerce experience for that. Yeah, now. yeah. We've, we've built all of that. And that includes kind of the integration points to go between the storefront to our planning software and then back to the storefront to complete checkout. And, uh, and you know, some of the other concerns that are in there as well. There's, um, this isn't, this isn't dropping a t-shirt in a box and sending via ups yeah yeah you've got shipping's a problem (laughs) full of cabinets yeah so everything has to go by by ltl freight and that was that was one of the next obstacles i ran into is how do you calculate that in real time so that you know you can get somebody to check out and convert the last thing you want is for somebody to put eight thousand dollars of cabinets in their shopping cart but then they got to contact you to check out that well, and then they work. get a surprise that it's, oh, it's actually $2,000 more to ship this to you. Yeah, which in some cases it is. But, yeah. you know, you want to know that up front and allow this to be a pretty self-service process. So I had to find the the right freight broker to work with that had, you know, the level of service that I needed and the rates that I needed and the software APIs that I needed to be able to go out and real-time calculate so, quotes. So, so far you sound like the typical software developer. 
I found a problem. I spent a whole bunch of time solving it all with technology, right? But how a lot did, of technology but, and a lot of customer service. So tell me though, from a business perspective, how did you figure out how to scale the sales part of this, right? Because that's really the the other part of of this that makes it successful, right? Like you built the technology, but you've also figured out how to scale the sales part of it. So how did you how did you figure out how to do the sales part of it as well? So they they really go hand in hand, I think. Um, my my vision and my hypothesis that that we got to test early on was that this could be a fairly self service product that we could get people. 80% of the way, maybe a little bit more, um, ideally get people to go end to end. They build their plan, they drop it in the shopping cart, they check out and they're done. Um, but, you know, worst case scenario, I wanted to be able to get people to 80% of the way there where they understand the product, they understand what they need, and you just help them with a few fine-grained details, answer a couple questions, and build confidence in like, yeah, I'm buying the right thing, and it's a quality product and, and uh, I'm going to love it. And so the first step was really building that technology platform, seeing how people would use it and seeing uh, what our conversion rate was for people actually putting it in their shopping cart. Right. That was a big indicator of like, okay, like, like somebody's bought into this, they aren't afraid of doing it. And, and then it's been just a matter of, of if you can do that really well, if you can take care of 80% of that up front with, with complex product like this, then the rest of it uh, can go pretty quickly. Uh, you know, you'll get, a, you'll get an email that might have five questions. You know, I want to understand a size, a fit of something, um, you know, how does install work, a couple things like that. And you can, you know, as, as somebody even working on this part-time, you can handle 20 to 30 of those inquiries a day and then still be processing orders. So, you know, just the nature of it being technology driven and a good customer experience for econ takes care of a lot of that scale on its own. So as you're sitting here chatting, I'm, I'm on your website designing cabinets. And what's cool yeah, is right. it was like one, one click to jump right in and, um, and go do it. Although it looks like I'm building the cabinets in a house, not outside. <laughs> yeah, so so we do have a new revision coming later this year that allows you to remove the walls from the box, <laughs> so it, so you can make it feel like you're outside and without walls. So you so you said you did a lot of you, you built it, did a lot of testing, figuring out okay, do we get people to use this thing? Will they use it? Will they order online? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what did you figure out for a sales channel though? Like, how did you figure out? You know, did you have certain business partners yeah. that that are selling your custom cabinets, or how did how was the go to market strategy of actually driving revenue though? Chance, luck, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit of gut. Uh, you know, really, what what I found um, is what led me to starting the company. I figured would be a good starting point, and that was. I wanted an outdoor kitchen because I had this particular grill and smoker that I really loved, which happens to have a cult following around it already. So I went in search of where do these people congregate and talk? How do you earn their trust? Because these are, you know, rabid, loyal fans of a product. And if you can augment their experience in a way that they can also become rabid, loyal fans of, it's going to sell itself within that community. So, you know, there's, there's a vast pool of 
Facebook groups for whatever okay. your interest is, right? And some of those, especially in like the outdoor cooking space and outdoor kitchens and barbecue and all that, some of these groups are enormous, you know, okay. 100,000 plus members. Um, they also really don't like you to go advertise there. Yeah, so, oh yeah, I'm sure. You, know, you have to, you have to find, find ways to kind of introduce your product organically. And it's, it's always this, this cycle of, of, you know, organically promoting your product and, and finding advocates and fans and customers and having them advocate on your behalf as well. Which, which, as it turns out, my my hunch there was right. You know, if you find one right. of these people who who loves this space and you you just you know overwhelm them with an experience that they couldn't get anywhere else and f- deliver them a fantastic product at a fantastic value, they're going to go sing your praises to everybody else in those in those channels. So that was one step, um, and then the other has just been through. Uh, digital marketing. I mean, it's it's Google ads and and Microsoft ads and Facebook ads, okay. and Instagram ads, and that that was another big challenge for me. That was a space I knew nothing about, and here I am stumbling my way through the Shopify platform, which has some tools to allow you to take your stuff and you know promote it on those channels, and it's like setting money on fire. I I mean <laughs> the the I mean it really is like like. You know, you and I deal with this world of like very uh, well-structured data, you know, like all of us old developers, you know, started with like transactional databases and everything had very clear cut dimensions and values. And then you go and look at like all the metrics that come out of Google ads and how they count conversions, but it's, it's kind of this squishy data and it's not real time and you're trying to tie it back to an actual purchase that happened. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, and uh, so I had to find help for that. and And that's a really interesting market because um, there are so 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 many companies out there that that you know aim to improve your presence and get you a better return on ad spend. I own and, one of them. <laughs> yeah, and you I own do one that. of them. Yeah, and you know. And I don't, I don't know how you monetize this, but right away I found that it, it reminded me of like the old school like um, investment advisors. They don't care about your performance. No, they don't. They, they want don't. you to deposit more money because they, they get want paid 20, on deposits. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They want and 20% so, of your spend. Yeah, so, so um, I worked, uh, you know, I, I said, I've got to start somewhere. And so I found a firm that had, you know, good kind of certified partner status with both Google ads and Microsoft ads, reached out to them. And I kind of had to set up my budgets to say, okay, here's how much I'm willing to spend. And I'm really going to stick to that because, and sure enough, I mean, right away, it's like, oh, well, you know, you just need to spend more. And I go, okay, but if I'm going to be spending more, I also want to see our return on ad spend. And and I want to know in more detail what's working well, what's working not well, and ultimately what, and so we did that for a while and it helped get some things in order, helped me figure out what I really wanted. But then I said, I've, I've got to have somebody who's a little, has a little bit more vested interest in this, just improving all the time. So I basically went the staff aug route. I found a company that does staff aug for marketing and it doesn't matter if okay. it's, you know, it's digital marketing or content marketing or, you know, traditional okay. marketing. They've got somebody 
who can do that. And they're going to present you a bunch of resumes and put somebody on, on, you know, kind of contract terms with you and, you know, found somebody who's fantastic. They, they were able to find me somebody who's worked in the e-com space with direct consumer brands and, uh, and, and he's been able to make, make a tremendous difference. So, and if you need to hire, if, if you're looking for somebody for staff hog for software development, definitely keep full scale in mind. That's what we do. Right. So we, Yeah. We build development teams for other people. We have 300 employees in the Philippines that do all sorts of dev work, QA, testing, all that kind of stuff. Check us out at fullskill.io. So tell, who else is part of your team? So tell, tell us more about the team. Because yeah. the other thing that's interesting about all this is this has always been your side hustle, is right? It? And so yeah. you've always had a full-time job while yep. building this big cabinet company now. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, and it has become big. I mean, we shipped all 50 states in the U S um, we've been shipping to Canada and South America. Some we've got a lot of demand to get overseas. That's, that's a lot of headaches that I've got to figure out here in the next couple of years. And, and we're uh, now taking on uh, with our manufacturing partner, full distribution rights. So we have exclusivity for all online retail for their products. And uh, that's become our white label brand of Matchless. And then under their manufacturing brand, now we're going to be distributing for brick and mortar and managing that entire dealer network. So how, how am I doing that um, with it being a side hustle? So it's, it's a, a number of things, you know, so we talked about like scaling the sales process and making that low touch, no touch. Um, there's been other components of that well as well. I mean, the accounting side of this is tremendous. Um, for every order I've got, I've got bookkeeping that I've got to do because I've got an order that goes to my manufacturer and payables there and the freight bills and all of this. So we've tried to automate as much of the, the uh, uh, accounting as possible, automate as much of the logistics as possible. You know, fortunately, all these platforms have APIs. So we've integrated to QuickBooks, we've integrated to our freight provider, all of this. But at the end of the day, you do need help from people at a certain point. So uh, we've got a couple people on the team now. So uh, I started my first kind of hire was the was the uh, contract hire for for digital advertising, and you know that resource probably works about oh 20, 30 hours a month. That's a nice thing too. Like he's a very very efficient person, and we know what we're doing really well now. So we've kind of set our campaign campaigns. We measure the performance. He makes small adjustments where necessary. And when we need to do things seasonally or promotion-wise, you know, we just kind of put those out there, manage them, pull them back in when we're done. Um, on top of that, we are continuously trying to improve our experience. And while I can write a lot of software and a lot of integration, I don't make things pretty reusable. Uh, so I need some UX help. And I can so, vouch for that. I can vouch yeah, for that. Th- th- thank you. Thank you. I've, <laughs> I've come a long way. I think I do better at it now. Um, and so I've actually um, enlisted uh, somebody you know as well, uh, our old friend Mel Hogan. He's helped me okay. with that quite a bit. And, uh, you know, it's great working with a designer that you've got, you know, previous working experience with. They can kind of understand how I think and how I describe things and turn it into yeah. a functional design. So Mel's been a great help there. And then um, I actually was was able to turn one of my very first customers into a salesperson for us. 
Oh, so, wow. Uh, and it's so funny. Uh, it's kind of his side hustle, too. He's actually a uh, uh, clinical surgery assistant. He's basically a doctor. He's got, you know, all the degrees and background, and he's got this, you know, weird schedule where he has days on and days off where he's in clinic and not in clinic. And he was one of those first customers that I found who is like this kind of loyal fan of a product and built his outdoor kitchen with us. And, you know, we just kind of became buddies and, and you talk a lot. And, and I found like he was in these groups online and answering a lot of questions about our products. So I just said, Hey, you know, you're already kind of doing this. How about we formalize it? I don't want you to do anything other than if people need help putting their plan together, help them do that. And then here's the commission schedule for it. And he said, yeah, sure. This sounds really fun. And it's, it's primarily because it's, it's a bit of a passion project for him too. Right. And he enjoys helping people and he likes solving problems and working on these things. And, and then he gets a little bit of insider access to the industry now because we're so well connected to all these grill manufacturers and, and other players in the space and kind of some of the, the social media influencers that we know now and stuff. He kind of gets the, the behind the scenes access to that. So he's been a great addition to the team. And that was, um, that was interesting for me because it was at a point that I was starting to worry, like we've got great revenue, we've got pretty good margins, but hiring somebody full time takes a big chunk out of things. It's a big commitment. And I think as well, it's a big responsibility. Um, and that's something I really care a lot about. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, uh, bring somebody on to something that's not stable or not going to work out and turn their life upside down. So well, and how, how did you balance this as a side hustle for you and not impacting your primary job? How, how did you, how did you balance that? It's really easy, Matt. You just don't sleep. <laughs> You've been there. I get it. I get it. Last week I worked 17 hours one day. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's, that's kind of how I'm wired is that, uh, if I've got a problem, I, I, I can't rest until I've solved that problem. Um, but it, it did become a bigger issue to, to the point this last year where I've said, I can't sustain this myself and a couple part-time people. And so last July, I'd actually decided I'm going to leave my job at Microsoft and I'm just going to do this full time. And there were a couple factors that kind of came up that I said, well, maybe I shouldn't. But, but one of those things that occurred to me was even if I was doing this full time, I still needed help. And so I decided we're going to try this. Um, I'd, been, I'd been juggling so much that I could probably continue to do that while having somebody else full time that would allow me to still maintain the balance between working full time and working on matchless and, you know, give this a little bit more runway. And if that worked out really well, then by the time that we needed to make another hire, you know, everything's just rolling to where it's funding itself and making it really easy to do that. So um, I had, I had prior last year, like reconnected with an old friend from college who uh, had a lot of really good relevant experience from with what we were doing and was looking for that next move in his career. And, and we sit, sat down and we had a, had a decent conversation. And, and I think, you know, very similar to like when you hired, hired me at, at Stackify back in the day when things were early, was able to say, here's what I can do today. I hope that there's some good upside in the future. 
you know, here's some of the risks that you're going to take, but you know, here's, here's what we could do together. And, you know, a little bit of a leap of faith for him. He had a family and or does have not had, he has family and, and kids and all that. But, um, but we did that about uh, four or five months ago and it's been phenomenal. I mean, hiring the right person at the right stage to, um, and, and then being able to hand them off the work that needs to be done to make yourself available for doing more important things has been just tremendous. Yeah. Uh, Delegating is huge and it's a skill that everybody has to learn, especially as a, as a business owner, right? Like always constantly trying to figure out how to delegate more and more things to other people and trust them, which is hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that I've always really struggled with because, because, and you, you've seen it firsthand from me, you know, um, being able to, being able to hand something off because I know I'm going to do it faster or I'm going to do it better or whatever the right. reason is at a certain point though. And, and it's similar to, you know, raising kids, you, you have to let them learn some lessons, right? So you give the proper amount of runway and you give a support system and, um, you know, hopefully they can figure out what to do and improve and all that. And, and I had to really commit myself to that process, but it's worked out fantastic. So let me, let me ask you this. Did your wife ever help with the business? Sometimes, sometimes Sometimes. we aren't, we aren't the best to work together. Like we've known that for a long time. Yeah, Um, no, some people it's not. Some people it is. I get it. I get it. (laughs) We, we have such distinctly different ways of accomplishing work and opinions on how that should be done. It's oil and water sometimes, but, but she does help out with a number of things. So, um, we're going into a period of the year right now where we get busy with trade shows and she's a tremendous help at those. Um, helping okay. helping get us organized, travel plans, reservations, logistics, ordering the company T-shirts, um, and then helping us work those booths. You know, you've done it um, at soccer development shows. We've been there where we've done like yeah. uh, you know Microsoft Build and stuff like that. And you're standing there talking to people for eight hours, and then it goes to like the reception after, and you're doing it for another four hours. And um, it, it's 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 you know, a huge help to have people in the booth who know the product and can talk to the product. And what I found as well is when we go to consumer shows, having, I don't want this to sound sexist, but it's really true. Having a woman in the booth, when you have a couple, a married couple come along and they're talking about this and, and I've found it to be true almost all the time with my customers. Usually it's the husband who says, oh, I want to build this outdoor kitchen. I want to put, put all my grills and stuff in. And, and the wife says, but it needs to look nice, and I'm going to pick the colors. Yeah, and, yep. and you know, sense. Yep. Having, having my wife there to be able to talk about that and, and to relate to, and, and the fact that she's a interior designer sort of person, yeah. Um, yeah. She's a, she, like, she helps people pick out colors and, and kind of go through the decision-making process of how they should lay things out and all that. And, and she sees that a lot differently than I do. So she's a great asset to pull on to say, I can't help you pick colors. I'm colorblind, but here's my wife and she's really good at it and does it every day. You have the perfect excuse. You have the perfect yeah, excuse yeah, to cop yeah. out of that. <laughs> I do. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you this. So where are all the cabinets manufactured? Are they manufactured here in Missouri? No, um, but they are manufactured in the U.S. So our manufacturing okay. facility is in northern Indiana. Um, okay. It's a, it's a really interesting community. So we mentioned earlier that 
they're primarily Amish. And yeah. take take every preconception that you have and throw it out the window because um, I like I said they're they're Amish, but they're using three D rendering software. Uh, the manufacturing facility is world class. I mean, we have we have a sheet fed laser cutter that is bigger than the first floor of my house. That's all automated. They take their 3D model, they load it into this basically giant printer, run sheets of aluminum through, laser cut it all. And then it goes out the other side and and panels are bent and hand welded. Um, Enormous powder coat facility. Um, And it's like an 80,000 square foot um, manufacturing facility. And... um, it's it's in an area of the country that that we've been a lot now, and it's it's really interesting. Almost all of the RV manufacturing in the country is done out there, and you go out okay. like endless lots full of RVs, and that's actually where my manufacturing partner got their start was in just manufacturing OEM components for the RV. Okay, makes and, sense. Yeah, uh, makes sense. Yeah, and then you know just through a series of of things that would be their own story similar to mine so, here today, they came across this need to build, build cabinetry. But when, so when you hear Amish people and have people have different preconceived notions of that, there are also a lot of different kind of Amish people, right? Yeah. They're not all the yeah. same. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple kind of different kind of main Amish lines. And then there's also Mennonite, which is a little bit different and, and a couple other uh, factions okay. like that. But, uh, but what I've also found is, is so even within this small community, let's say it's like 30 square miles, there's a number of different churches and the communities are all centered around their church. And, and now this is where it does get a little bit more traditional because they all go by horse and buggy or bicycle. You know, they belong to a church that is within a couple miles of where they live so that they have quick and easy access. And then that local church kind of sets their policy of of how they live their lives so of course the biggest thing that people think is like no electricity and that's that's somewhat true um i've seen some some uh very interesting innovation and um uh how do i want to say um uh uh ways of applying the rules that have been set. So <laughs> did you know, did you know that you can run a washing machine off of an 18 volt DeWalt battery? Okay. Yeah. And that doesn't count yeah. as electricity. It, right. Well, what it really comes down to, <laughs> what it really comes down to is I found the culture, the culture centers around a couple of concepts. One is, is uh, not taking creature comforts for granted. And electricity would be one of those things. Right. And, and, you know, there's, they don't connect to the power grid because that's easy, right? But, but modifying things to work through electricity that they can produce, primarily through solar, is allowed because, because okay. that requires effort and work. And it's not something you can take for granted. It's a resource that you have to preserve a little bit because you have limited supply and, and some of those things. Um, it, it's, so it's been really interesting. Um, and of course they, as a community will make some decisions, um, like, so for the manufacturing facility, clearly we're doing welding and all this other stuff. It takes a lot of electricity. Um, they actually have gone off the grid and our entire plant is run off of solar and gas, which is just 
amazing when you consider the size of it, but there's no way we could build a product like this without having those, those tools. And that's really how it's viewed. It's a tool that allows them to build industry, which is now employing over a hundred people in the area. So, you know, that that's, you know, but they they're making those decisions together as a community and it's, and it's really interesting to see how that works. I, you know, I love, I love that um, mentality though, that they only want to like take benefit or advantage of the things from their work output, right? Like they're not taking anything that's like given to them. They want to be responsible for like building it and they reap what they sow kind of mentality, right? Is, is kind of how I'm hearing it. And that's kind of the opposite of a lot of other people. So I think that's actually really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is really Everybody good. Everybody else wants the government handout, and they're like, no, if we want electricity, we're going to build it ourselves. Here we we're go. Gonna, we're going to build I our electricity. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Yeah, I like it. But and, and I will say, like, I never thought I'd have so much fun as, as one night when we were out there. And, and so, of course, it's a family enterprise. And the person who I interface with on a daily basis is the oldest son of the gentleman who started this whole enterprise 20, 30 years ago. And, but we, we went over to their house for dinner, you know, kind of like multiple generations. And we had our kids and we actually had my in-laws with me as well. And, um, you know, sit down in this big, big meal. And, and we, we always eat fantastic when we go out there, like they, they, they cook and it's great stuff. And, uh, you know, we thought like, we had to like coach our kids a little bit, like, okay, like their kids, they don't know the TV shows. They don't know the movies. They don't know the video games. They don't know all this culture stuff. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit different. And like within 20 minutes, they're out there like playing basketball and just having the time of their lives with new friends. And then the kids are like, Hey, you want to, you want to go on a horse and buggy ride? And of course my wife is like, I kind of want to go on a horse and buggy ride. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, and who, I, I mean, if you had told me three years ago, I'd be traveling to Indiana every other month and sitting down and have dinner with my Amish friends. I would have said, what? You're, what, are, yeah. what are you smoking, Matt? Like, no way. I don't even know anybody well, those, Amish. <laughs> for, for those that are not familiar with the Kansas City area, there are quite a few Amish communities in and around Kansas and Missouri mm-hmm. and different places yeah. that I've interacted with myself over 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 my lifetime. Like, I used to sell at flea markets, and there was a couple oh, yeah. of flea markets we'd go to that were out more in rural areas and like Amish or Mennonite people would come in and we were selling weird stuff. Like I'd be selling, my dad would be selling like little buttons that had like Bart Simpson on it or Homer Simpson with like goofy sayings, like eat my shorts and stuff like that. And so one of them would of course look at that and they're like, what is this? (laughs) You know, like, because they had no cultural reference to it. So it was, it was always interesting, you know, but, uh, you know, but definitely seem like the, some of the nicest people in the world. They, they are. And, and, you know, some, some of what we hear like is like partially true. And, and like, there's, there's a deal when they, when they turn a certain age, they kind of leave and go out into the world and they, they don't wear all the Amish clothes and, and all of that. And, and, you know, some of them will, they'll, they'll get a car, they'll get a phone, they'll get a TV and they'll do some of that until they decide to get married and join the church. And then they kind of go back to the Amish lifestyle. So like, I know some of them who they do get some of the pop culture reference. I like, I know, I know one uh, Amish gentleman who like, he loved family guy, like in those couple <laughs> years, he was out on his own. He just loved that show to pieces. And, uh, and, and it surprisingly enough, like the sense of humor that you get out of some of them is just absolutely not what I expected. So it's, oh, it's a great. lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Well, do you have any other um, tips for us about ha- starting your own side hustle and or <laughs> trying to balance, you know, having a side hustle? Oh man, I think um, I think a couple things. Um, uh, being, I did not I did not expect this business to grow as much as it did so quickly, right? And and I mean, I wish that was a problem that more more side hustles or startups had. You know, sometimes it's just not meant to be. Sometimes it's a longer, more difficult path to get there. But I think I think. Um, Ultimately, what's really important is knowing when when the business is going at a different pace than what you expected it to, whether that's be fast, faster or slower, right? Being able to have that kind of Patrick Mahomes sort of like quick decision making of like, this is in the moment, this is what we've got to do, either way is, is really important. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself, um, you know, failing in one of one of very many ways. And then like any, like any other business, and, and you and I have discussed this before in just building technology products and businesses, is knowing when to say no is a really, really oh, yeah. important thing. There's, there's a lot, you know, early, early months. I mean, I had people coming to me all this time saying, oh, I see you have this, but I want this. And just having to say like, no, we aren't going to do anything custom. We're building a standard catalog. Um, was really, really important. Um, and, and it was tough to like turn some of that away, but the couple times that I did it, it ended up being so much headache and costing us so much money that, that I said, you know, never again, we we're, we're going to standardize. We'll make catalog changes when it's warranted. Like we get request a enough times, we're just going to make that standard. But, um, but anything that you do like that just gets in the way of the scale that you could be having organically. And, uh, it's a tough thing to do, but ultimately it should reward you well if you do that. Well, I, I can definitely relate to that. And as an entrepreneur, you you definitely get pulled in all sorts of different directions. And saying no is definitely one of the most viable things you can do. Well, yeah. I do want to remind everybody that if you need to hire some software developers to help grow your own startup, check us out at FullScale, FullScale.io. That's my company. And um I use my my background experience to help lead that company, and we've got 300 developers doing all kinds of stuff. Check us out, fullscale.io. Jason, I uh, I miss working with you. I mean, I think that's the hardest thing about you know business, right? Is a lot of times our, uh, our our best friends are people that we work with. So I definitely yeah. def, definitely miss hanging out with you every day. And uh, I don't know one of these days, maybe we'll get to work work together again. Um, you, but there's there's honestly nothing better than finding people that you work really well with and get along with, you know, even outside the work and, and being able to do great things together. Absolutely. Well, once again, um, this is Jason Taylor and his company is Matchless Cabinets. You can check him out if you're looking for some custom outdoor cabinets. He's your guy, right? Matchlesscabinets.com. We'd love to help you out. Matchless Cabinet, singular. Cabinet. Yep. All right. You, you better get the S there. You, be, you better get the other domain. We, don't worry. We've got to redirect. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Jason. All right. Thanks a lot for having me, Matt. Take care. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>